Hey, I'm Kevin, the student pastor of Shore Church again. Thanks for listening to our message. We strive each week to bring you relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To find out more about us or what's going on at the church, head on over to scog.com or download the app. Hope you enjoy the message. All right, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We have been flying through Romans. Uh, for some of you, it feels like, wow, this has gone really slow. For some of you, it's like, what? How in the world can we cover Romans in this quick of time? Whatever. Uh, it is an overview of seeing what God is doing and what we, and in Romans and how that all works. Because Romans is really a foundational book of the Bible and how we understand how God works, how we understand how grace works, how we understand how this whole Christian thing operates. And so when we find ourselves in that kind of moment, we have to slow down and, and understand it and read it through slowly, but also we need to understand the context of it. There's two different ways of, of really, well, there's a multitude of ways of reading the scripture, but two distinctly different ways of doing it, and they, they need to be done at different seasons at different times. One of which is like a fire hose. Just consume it. Just read it like a novel. Just go, 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 and read big, huge chunks of it. And then there's other seasons and times where you want to just go kind of line by line, verse by verse, maybe just chunk, 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 and, and slowly think about it. It's like, um, and usually I choose different translations or versions of the scripture um, to do one of the other ways. It's like, you don't get to go to a fancy steakhouse and have a buffet. Like, that's not how that works, right? Uh, you, I, that would be awesome. That's what heaven's like. Uh, but you don't get to go, you know, have a, have a filet mignon and then have another filet mignon and have another filet mignon and go up to the counter and get another filet mignon. Um, I guess maybe in Vegas somewhere you get to do that, but that's still not the best quality of what you got going on. What happens is you go to Golden Crow and you just go belly up to the, the horse trough and you just go for it, right? And so you get a little bit lower quality of, of, of food than you would if you went to Ruth Chris, but Ruth Chris doesn't let you go back and eat as much as you possibly can, right? And so what you've got is these two distinct kind of ways of going about it. Now, I don't want to belittle the New Living Translation or the message in comparing them to Golden Corral, but that you have a little less quality or accuracy in the translation of what's going on because they're doing it in a way in which you can get the mass consumption of it as easily as and as fast as possible. The grading, the reading, the great, the reading great? Oh, the reading level is lower. <laughs> Whew, that was tough. <laughs> so the reading level is lower, much lower in those uh, translations, paraphrases, than it is in something like the New American Standard Version or the ESV. If you read in one of those uh, translations, it is much deeper. It's much a little harder to, to, to read. If you read, like my favorite study Scripture Bible is a New American Standard Version. It's probably the hardest out of all of them to read. It's kind of like reading it as, as if Yoda was talking. And so you're like, huh, because the subject-verb agreement in Greek is different than the subject-verb agreement in uh, English. And so when you get those words mixed up, it's, you're like, what is happening here? Except it's way more accurate word-for-word, word-for-word translation 
then maybe a New Living Translation. The, the translation we usually uh, speak out of here at this church is the New uh, International Version, which is kind of a middle of the road between the two of them. And so that's why we, we do that. Um, it's not the hardest to read, but it's not the easiest to read as well. And you kind of get the, the, the going back and forth on that. I tell you all that because no matter what we're doing in the scripture in this moment and what your goal of getting through the scripture, if you go, hey, I want to read all the gospels this month or in the next two months or this summer, I want to read through the whole New Testament. It's a, it's a fine goal. I wouldn't choose the New American Standard because you're going to be like, mm, my brain hurts. Um, and that's okay. But if we're going, you know what? I just want to sit on Philippians this summer and I'm just going to chew through it. Well, choose one that might be a little bit more difficult to read, but you might glean some more information out of that. Um, that's just a quick primer on what's going on. Here in Romans, in how we're attach, uh, attacking this book, we're kind of doing the new international version. We're right in the middle. We're not going too fast. I'm not covering it in four weeks. Um, but we're also not going too slow where I could honestly spend like three years in Romans, and that would be a different way of doing it. So that's kind of what our goal's been. We're almost, we got a couple more weeks left of our, our trip through Romans. Um, but as you prepare yourself, maybe you have a little extra time this summer and you wanted a, something a little different, a little fresher in your Bible reading, I wanted to give you those tools um, on how, what Bible might be best for you or also how you can approach uh, scripture reading. There's not a right way and a wrong way of doing it. The wrong way is not doing it, all right? The, the right way is engaging in the scripture. I had a base, this, this is true Whiteford baseball story. I had a baseball coach ask me, um, I, I offhandedly said, yeah, I've been reading the uh, baseball rule book before I go to bed, and it puts me right to sleep. Um, but it, we were arguing about a rule. I was like, no, it's this. He's like, how would you know that rule? I was like, I read it last night. What? <laughs> so um, he's like, I thought you'd read scripture before you went to bed. I was like, no, man, I'll put me to sleep way too fast. <laughs> They're like, this is in front of all the crowd. I'm catching the warm-up picture, and we're having this conversation. And uh, everyone started laughing at me. He's like, if I'm in Leviticus, and it's 10 o'clock at night, folks, there ain't no hope for me. Right? So if you're having sleep problems, you know, maybe a little, little Old Testament action for you will help you. Um, but no, no, I choose to read the Bible at my best time, not my worst time. If I want to get the most out of it, I need to read it at my best time, not my worst time. I don't care if I remember all the baseball rules. I'm actually wanting to go to sleep. I'm going to choose my worst time. Does that make sense? So anyway, uh, I can go on for the whole rest of our time just talking about best Bible reading practices, but I'll contain myself. I know you're really disappointed in that. Um, we've been going through the book of Romans. We are in chapter 9 and 10 this week, and uh, we've been building on some building blocks of Romans. The first is this. We have to read Romans. You have to read Romans in light of Exodus and the Gospels. They have to be the foundation of how you're understanding Romans. If you read Romans in a vacuum without Exodus, without the Gospels in it, we get some interesting stuff going on that, that leads us down some uh, weird spots where you find yourself going, is the Gospel right or Romans right? No, no, both are right. You're the way in which you got the, the, the bouncy ball in order is wrong. And so now we have to kind of uh, work that through. Because when I, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. It doesn't cause problems for itself. What, it, what causes problems is when we um, get our pieces out of order. And so sometimes it happens specifically with Romans. And so I just want to caution you with that. So if you have a question, you're struggling through a, a, a scripture piece, you're struggling through a moment in, in Romans or any other book of the Bible, go, wait a minute, should this be read in light of the Gospels? The answer is always yes. And then, okay, if it's the Gospels, how do I understand it? I'm really confused here. How does that work with 
what the building blocks of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, specifically Exodus work. And if that usually helps clear up any misconceptions or interesting stuff that we have. Because when it's built on those foundations, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because God is the God of all that. He's, we're interjecting that story. If you only read one chapter at the end of a, a book and you read the first, cha- that, that gets all wonky. So you want to read it, the whole thing like that. Um, that's really helpful. So we have to read it in light of Exodus and the Gospels. The second huge building block of understanding Romans is this. Grace is amazing. And sin is horrid. Grace is better than we can ever actually understand that grace is. And sin is worse than we ever think it actually is. Some of our sin, we're like, yeah, that was bad sin. Like, there's moments or stuff we can point to, like, yeah, I'm not proud of that moment. But other sin, we're like, that was a baby sin. That was just a little sin. No, it's all horrid. So sin is worse than you ever can think it is, and grace is more beautiful than you can imagine. With this in mind, we want to jump into Paul uh, for this week. We've just come through reading the chapters in 7 and 8, what it looks like to be a slave to sin or choosing God as Lord of our life. Choosing sin, choosing not God, is choosing death. The wages of sin is death. Choosing to be fully a child of God, choosing to be adopted into his family. These are their choices. And was, we talked about uh, there's a problem, especially in American Christianity. And I think Paul actually deals with this problem as well. But specifically in our time and place in this moment is we try to do a third way. We still try to not have sin in our life, but also not submit ourselves fully to God. Uh, our American exceptionalism. We're better than everybody else. We've been trained and indoctrinated to think this, that we're, whoa. Um, and we are woo in a lot of different ways, but um, we, we, that interjects into our theology and causes some serious problems because we are so in love with our freedom that we forget that that freedom doesn't extend to freedom away from God. And so if we have to, we have to, have to keep on coming back to that. We have a problem with that. I have a problem with that. I do not enjoy being told what to do. I don't enjoy that at all. No one, I don't know very many people, oh, I just love it when people give me rules and regulations and how I'm supposed to live my life, right? But as Americans, we really, really, really don't have a frame of mind for that. And that causes all kinds of problems when we start talking about submitting our lives fully to God. And so uh, we, have to, we have to be very, very cognizant of that. Paul is also very, 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 very cognizant of this, this problem. He has it. It's not an American problem. It's a Jewish problem, uh, usually for him, because the Jews are going, hey, um, we're the promised people. I got it made. And it's this attitude of, ah, yeah, okay, that's fine, but I'm Jewish. I'm a son of Abraham. I'm a son of the covenant. I'm good to go. And, and Paul's like, well, not so fast there, hotshot. That's not how this works. We've got we to gotta, we gotta figure out this, this mind, uh, mind puzzle. And we do the same thing. I'm good to go. I'm an American. Now, this actually was a problem in... Uh, uh, the Great Awakening that happened in the 1700s uh, here in America <coughs> actually was happening because grandparents were, uh, had gone to church and there was this theological problem of thinking, well, if my grandparents went to church, then I'm fine, uh, my grandkids are fine, and then a couple generations more are fine. So nobody has to have a relationship with God because great uncle 
you know, Erasmus had a relationship with God. And um, then there's this huge awakening uh, that happens, especially in New England, that says, hey, no, you're the one that has to make this, uh, this decision and submit yourself uh, to God. And uh, it transformed American Christianity at that time back in the 1700s. You may not care. You may find that fascinating, but whatever. Uh, so there you go. Uh, but that, that even happened to us. That same, I'm telling you that, is because this is a repeated behavior. This is not a new thing to 21st century Christians. This, is not a, this has been a part of our faith journey for thousands and thousands of years. And it's on a cyclical thing. Like we, we get a handle on it and then we fall apart. And we get a handle on it and we fall apart. And we get a handle on it and we fall apart. And I, I feel in our culture in this moment, we're at this precipice. We're at this moment where we're, it's just Christianity is getting, uh, it, it's got all these different forces going on. We're dealing with all kinds of different stuff. Politically, religiously, um, environmentally, COVID-E, all these different things. We're redefining how it all looks, what it looks like. And it's this moment in this time in which we get to really get to the essence of Christianity. The essence of, we can strip back all the other stuff and go, what is this really about? And that's what Paul is trying to speak into this moment. I think what we get to speak into this moment as well. Romans 9, 20 to 21. But who are you... Uh, but, but I'm done. It's, it's the Oscars. I'm out. Uh, so, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out the same lump of clay of some pottery for special purpose and some for common use? Right? This is Paul. We, we have the same temptation in our lives. God, why is this happening? What are you doing? Right? We're like ordering them around. Like, hey. Uh, excuse me, this is not how my life was supposed to work. Paul is dealing with the same thing. Like, whoa, whoa, you are the clay, not the potter. Get it straight in your head. Who are you as a human being there to call the divine? Say, hey, you don't get to give the job description or the job review to God. That's not, that's not part of your role as a human. And we always, as humans, are tempted to do this. Paul speaks into this. So what he happens to do here uh, in this next chapter is kind of deal a, a, an FAQ, a frequently asked questions of God in this relationship, and he addresses each one of them. Uh, Paul, Jews are saying, what about these guys of the Gentiles? Because they haven't done this, and they haven't done that, and they're not circumcised, and they don't do the food stuff. And the Gentiles are going, I don't want to do the food stuff, and I don't want to... I don't want to be circumcised, and I don't want to, and I don't want this, but I'm really interested in Jesus. So what, what about this? So all these questions about what, who, ha, hey, what, what does this look like? And Paul says, you're asking the wrong questions. Let's reframe the conversation. So you're talking about what you're supposed to be talking about, thinking about what you're supposed to be thinking about, living out what you're supposed to be living out. The clay doesn't get to say to the potter what it wants to be. The clay is not the authority, and you are not the authority if Jesus is your Lord. We fool ourselves into thinking we have that power, and we don't. It's not our authority to dictate to the creator of the universe how life goes. And if I'm honest, that's incredibly painful to say. I want to be in control. I want to be in charge. 
I know I'm the only one that struggles with this. Right? When we tell God how life should go, we are guilty of idolatry. When we tell God how life should go, we are guilty of idolatry. We've made ourselves God. Our accessibility to God allows access to the divine, not control of the divine. You may want to read that again. You may want to write that down. Our accessibility to God allows access, you can underline that, access to the divine, not control of the divine. Those are two totally different things. Having access is not having control. Being approachable does not mean that you manipulate. But we often think, oh, I'm adopted co-heir with Christ. That means I can manipulate God in some way to do what I want. Maybe we don't actually think that, but that's what we live out in our prayer life. That's what we live out in, in how we go to church. If, if God blesses me or doesn't bless me, that controls how I tithe to the church. That's how it do, that, that works out of how I serve at the church. That's how I, how I go to church. My, my participation in church is directly in response to if God is doing what I want him to do or not. But we have incredible, incredible access to God. And we get that twisted up and thinking that we, that means that we can control God. And those are not the same. What grants the spiritual access? It's Jesus. It's relationship with Jesus. Romans 10.4 says this, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the culmination of the law. This word, culmination, is actually the Greek word telos. It is one of the most argued, talked about, written about words in all of Scripture. It is the end. It is the fulfillment, the culmination, the the wrapping up of, the fullness of. And I'm running out of adjectives, but there's more, and there's more. And there's more. I know Eric and my dad could just throw out 10 more right now. Right, right, gentlemen? <laughs> so, because this is so, this is so hotly uh, talked about. But Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the fullness of that which grants us the accessibility to God. He is the end of it, but he is more than that. He's the fulfillment of that. But he's more than that. The law, the Torah, was built on ideas of how we have sin in our lives. And if you do this, then you do this, then you get this. It was the algebraic equation of how we have back to right living with God. Right? If you do this, sacrifice a bird, and this happens. If you do this, sacrifice some grain, and then this happens. If you do this, sac- if you do that, sacrifice an ox, like your car, and then, uh, then, then you go back to right living. There's an algebraic equation. You can just go, you can fill it out. You talk to the priest. Okay, I did this, this, and this. Okay, well, we need two lambs and ox and, whoa, dude. Uh, and then we need a, a, you know, a sheep and uh, some grain. Boom. Okay, cool. Now we're good to go. And so there's this algebraic equation that figured this all out. Jesus comes and is the fulfillment of all that. 
all of what the, the payment needs to be to set right the sin and life relationship that grants access. Because you, you, weren't, you were kind of blocked from having access to God if you your sin deficit. And so Jesus being the end of the law, the fulfillment of the law, the completion of the law, is saying, no, 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 I'm, all that, all that algebra, thank you, Jesus, algebra is thrown out, I am the end of that, and now there is access granted in this. When we believe in Jesus as our Lord, when we fully step into what his sacrifice was for us, for you, for me, for everyone. Is that helpful? Okay. And so that's what grants us that access, but that access becomes so easy in our minds that we take it for granted. And when access becomes easy, we kind of think we deserve it. Right? You give any person, any child, too much TV time. You give them too much Mountain Dew. You give them too much cake. You give them whatever. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, this is amazing. I got to watch TV all day long. Yes. This is amazing. It was my birthday. I get to eat as much cake as I want. Except in the next day, guess what? We still want as much cake as we want. And we still want all this stuff. And then we start with someone, it gets taken away or there's no more cake. You're like, what do you mean there's no more cake? I'm this way with donuts. I think all donuts at all times should be mine. Right? <laughs> People are like, it's true, Jared. Uh, you have a problem. Uh, so <laughs> but the access builds kind of a contempt. Like, I think I deserve donuts. I deserve all this stuff. No, I don't deserve this stuff. Just access makes it too easy sometimes. Access does not mean that you have control over God. Understanding this, really diving into it, that access to God doesn't mean control of God is the crux of spiritual maturity. This is, if maybe you've been going through life and you feel like your Christian walk's kind of plateaued, your Christian walk has, has kind of stopped somewhere in this relationship. You know you've given your life to Christ, you know you've kind of done, maybe you're baptized, you've done some of the stuff, but you feel like you've hit a lid over and over and over again. I would submit to you, that this is what the, is the wall, is the lid that's, that's holding you back from experiencing the deeper freedoms and victories of God. It's understanding that access does not mean control. It changes how we pray. When we understand that access doesn't mean control, it changes our prayers from a wish list to Santa Claus to a conversation with the divine. The more you understand that your access doesn't mean control, the quieter you are in prayer. When I think I'm in control of it, I got a laundry list that God needs to take care of. And you need to fix this person, and you fix them, and this, and that, and if you and pay my bills. Right? That's me. You guys are all way more mature than me and never do that. Right? But that's how we, we deal with it. That's how we go with it. That's how we, how we do it. But now when we start understanding that we don't have control of the divine, we, just, we get this beautiful gift of access to the divine. Now we sit and hear from the Lord. Now we're humble enough to let him poke and prod and to be the potter. I did a series once 
on this verse of the, the potter and the clay um, with my wheel. And with my wheel, you start throwing clay. Uh, that's what's, when you put it on the wheel and it spins around real fast. You start throwing clay. And you, the clay, if, it does not, if it's not um, homogenous in its moisture content, that's a fun word, uh, but uh, if it's not the same all throughout, if it's not malleable for you, what happens is you start to make it and you hit a rock or a hard spot in there and it will tear apart and fall apart. That does not mean that the clay is useless. What it means is there's a whole lot more work that has to happen with it. And you scrape all the clay apart, you pack them together, you throw it on a, a, a plasterboard, and you knead the tar out of it until everything works. And some of you are like, why does it feel like I'm getting beaten up? Because if you're going to be used by God, you had to be torn off the, that bat because you got some really hard, nasty places in you, thrown back on the plaster kneading board, and worked. Is it, yes, that's what I feel like. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the kneading process right now. Well, you got some hard stuff that needs to be fully submitted to God. You are in those hard places. You're trying to say, I have control of who I'm going to be and what I'm going to be and my future, my present. And once that clay is, is homogenous in its moisture content, you throw it back on the, on the, on the wheel. <laughs> Open it up. You can make it a beautiful vase be what the potter wants it to be. And some of us in, our, in this room and in our lives, if we are honest with ourselves, we're a piece of clay trying to tell God exactly what we want to be. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be this. I need you to do this. I need you to check off that list. But if we're going to fully submit ourselves to what Christ has for us, it's Lord whatever you want out of my life. God's got bigger dreams for your life than you do. He's got bigger goals to accomplish than you can ever dream, ever think of. You may, have been, you may think you have huge goals for your life. God's dreams and goals for you are bigger. A deeper under, uh, the, so how we pray goes from Santa Claus to, uh, to Santa Claus wish list to a conversation with God. When we understand that access to God does not mean control of God, it leads to a deeper understanding of your place in the world and your role in it. A deeper understanding of your place in the world and your role in it. If you understand that access to God doesn't mean control of God, it's a foundation based on God instead of a life lived on emotions. Often our relationship with God goes up and down based off how good our day has been. There can be a string of really bad days, and then all of a sudden we're questioning the existence of God. There can be a string of, of we lost a job, or so-and-so did this, or so-and-so did that, or whatever. Just bad things happen. Sin enters the world. But when we get confused that our access to God, does, uh, it, we think it can, equals we can control God, <clears throat> emotions and how our day goes, gets all tangled up and all messed up. We start thinking that we have control over what God is supposed to do. And so a bad day would equal that God is defunct in some way. It's a very dangerous place to be. But if we're honest with ourselves, it's a place in which we find ourselves. 
So how then do we work towards spiritual maturity? It's a great question. Glad you asked. Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. <laughs> For it is with your heart that you, will, you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Okay, so four steps of this. What can I do? What, what does this look like? Declare with your mouth. Declare with your mouth. This word declare is the word confess. And we think of confession as confessing our sins. A great place to start in this. But even more than that, it's actually to be in complete agreement with. So what are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be in complete agreement with the Lord. Which means complete submission. If I'm going to be in complete agreement with the Lord, I have to be submitted to what he wants me to do. Because I'm not in complete agreement when I want to do my own thing and God wants me to do his thing. That's not complete agreement. Do you understand that? Okay, so how do we do this? We are confessed to be in total agreement with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Also, in complete alignment when we live our... Jesus might be Lord. No, that's not good enough. Jesus, maybe on the second Tuesday of the month, Jesus is Lord. Maybe only during Easter and Christmas, Jesus is Lord. Or only when I have time to fit it in my schedule and everything else going honky-dory in my life, Jesus is Lord. Wait, to be in total agreement... Do you hear that? It might be a little different than how we approach it. To believe in your heart. What are we believing? That he is raised from the dead. That he is who he says he is. To believe that Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and rose again is an outlandish claim. But it is a center point of who we are as believers in Jesus. This believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead is central to having this relationship with God. Some of us, we get to a point where we're like, yeah, I'm going to take the teachings of Jesus and apply it to my life. I'll take the moral understandings of Jesus and apply it to my life. But this isn't the moral understandings of Jesus. This is the amazing divine interaction of the Son of God being sacrificed to be the telos, the fulfillment, the completion of all of the law that's ever been needed, that all sin, past, present, and future would be paid for, and I need to step into that and believe in it. So if we get to a place in our lives in which we go, yeah, I can understand the teachings of Jesus, and I understand how some of the right living of, of what Paul's writing is really important to my life, but I don't know if I totally buy that Jesus was risen from the dead, that he defeated death. The problem with that is that that does not breed, um, breed the relationship with Jesus. It does not breed a relationship with God. That keeps us that I have access to the divine, but I also want to have control of the divine. What I think of and how I work with it. When we have that, that separation, we haven't fully submitted our lives 
to God. And we also haven't fully given our sin over to be paid for. When we believe wholeheartedly that Christ paid for all of our sins, that rose from the dead, has victory over that. that was, that's what that sentence means. That he is the telos of the law. That he is the fulfillment, the completion of that. That he sets right the sin and man relationship. Number three, we have a heart change that leads to righteousness. This word justified in other translations is, is translated righteousness. We deal with righteousness in a, a profound manner in this moment. What it, what, it, what it means is divine approval. To be passed through the divine scrutiny and go, you meet the standard. Heart change leads to righteousness. For it is with your heart that you believe and are made righteous or are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. Number four, confession or total agreement with God leads to salvation. Once again, it's so important, it's re-brought back, okay? We, we go through this cycle. We confess, and we say, ah, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life, and I'm in total agreement of him. And then we start to change our heart, and we start to do all these things, and then life gets wonky, and we start getting out of alignment, and, and, and things start getting hard, and we have to come back to, even when life is hard, I'm in total agreement with what God is. Even when life is difficult, I'm in total agreement with who Jesus is. Even when life is great, I'm in total agreement with what and who God is. This is the adoption process to being co-heirs with Christ. This is the adoption process when we choose to be a doulos, a slave of the Lord to be in total agreement with him. Not just to have access to God, but to give him control of our lives in all ways. See, immaturity confesses that Jesus is Lord in the moment, not our entire life. Spiritual immaturity confesses that Jesus is Lord in the moment and not in our entire life. And it's okay to be spiritually immature when you're a baby Christian. When you're exposed to this, it's not okay to be spiritually mature if you've been a Christian for 40 years and you're still living by a moment-to-moment basis. I expect spiritual immaturity from a 13-year-old. I expect spiritual maturity from a 40-year-old who just came to Jesus. But spiritual immaturity confesses that Jesus is Lord in the moment and not in our entire life. <clears throat> maturity confesses, remember what confesses is, Total agreement. Total agreement that, and you can use this for confession, it's total agreement that what I did was wrong. It's total agreement that what I had in my life was messy. It's total agreement in, in what you're doing. It's total agreement that you are Lord. It's total, total agreement means total agreement. Maturity confesses that he is Lord of our present moment, our past moments, and our future moments. That is a different place to be than saying, Jesus is Lord of this moment, of this time. 
spiritual immaturity is Jesus take the wheel, right? That is spiritual immaturity. Can it be profound for your life? And I'm, whatever. Thank you for the country song. But Jesus take the wheel is I want to need you to be Lord of this life right now because I got myself in a terrible place and I need help right now. Like every country song ever. Spiritual maturity is, Lord, I need you to be in control of my life, past, present, and future. No matter what the messes were past, whatever I'm in myself now, whatever victories I have here, how, how I win the lottery today, if I've got the greatest job and the greatest family of the world, I need you to be my, my Lord and my Savior in this moment and in the future. I need you to be the Lord and Savior of my future and that time. That's spiritual maturity. Spiritual immaturity is based and washes back and forth on, is Lord, he's Lord of my life if... He does these three things for me in this moment. Get me out of jail free card here. Spiritual maturity is, it doesn't matter what my day looks like. Paul writes, when he talks about, I kind of want to go ahead and die because Christ is gain. But I kind of want to stay because I want to still do ministry. This is when he's on death row. This is, that's a, the hallmark of maturity. If I stay, awesome. If I die, awesomer. Not, I know there's times in my life, probably times in your life, God doesn't get me out of jail right now. He's not God anymore and he doesn't love me. That's when we make it immature and we make him God just of our moments present. But the mature says, it's all his. I confess I'm in total agreement with whatever he has for my life. As a people, as a church, as a body of believers, as young, as old, if we can move ourselves from a place of living out our Christian walk of maturity, not based on our present moments, not based on what culture dictates, not based on what the news says, not based on what people think of us, but we move from immaturity and being dictated on present moments to past, present, and future all moments, we will have such a profound impact on culture. Culture is dying for consistent people. They are, it is dying right now for people to be who they're supposed to be. Come back to Bowen's name <clears throat> means to be, not to seem. We named him that for other reasons, but I fell in love with that name because of what that means. As Christians, we need to embottle that. Embody that, sorry. Not embottle. That would be an interesting thing. Who are we? We don't just seem to be this. We are. Not dictated on how comfortable or uncomfortable our moment is at this time. We don't seem like it. We are. That's my challenge for you today. And maybe you need to go through this road of spiritual maturity, confessing total agreement of who the Lord is in your life. Believe in your heart. Let your heart change you into being righteous. And confess to be total agreement with God that leads to salvation. Total agreement. Work through it. And it can be some uncomfortable journaling moments, uncomfortable prayer moments, uncomfortable self-reflection. Where am I not giving God total access to my life? 
Maybe asking yourself the question, where am I still trying to have control of my life? Where is my relationship with God dictated on if he answers me in the correct, in my correct way? Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for who you are, what you're about, and what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we ask you to move in us. Lord, that this would be a moment and a time in which we <clears throat> fully understand what it means to have access to you, but not control of you. Lord, we confess that maybe we have tried to control you in our lives. We've tried to dictate your plans for our lives. You, we've tried to make it something that it actually isn't. And for that, Lord, we are sorry and we repent. Lord, in this moment and this time, we want to give you our whole lives, our whole minds, our whole hearts, our whole souls. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. And a special thanks to all those who continue to support our mission through your generosity. You too can support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community by giving on the website or through the app. To make sure you never miss out on a message, be sure to subscribe. And don't forget to hit that share button to spread the word. Have a great week.